You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, and this is episode number 92, and Julie and I are a little bit giddy over here. We're a lot giddy. Yeah. We're really <laughs> excited to have today's guest. This is Fran, and she is actually an OBGYN herself that has had a VBAC. She's in the Southeast and really excited to hear her story. She's learned a lot in her VBAC preparation and has quite a journey to share with us. So we are going to really quickly turn the time over to Julie for our review of the week and then we're going to dive right in to Fran's awesome story. We are super excited. I just couldn't even believe it that an OBGYN found us the VBAC link and used us to kind of help guide and support her through her own VBAC journey and that just stood out and just like blew my mind it made me just awesome we're so we're just like going back and forth before we started recording and she's like I'm fangirling now and I'm like no we're fangirling (laughs) no you're fangirling and we're just all really excited to be here together today with you so um I'm going to share the review who's actually from Julie P not to be confused with Julie. Julie F that would be me. Um, and this is on Facebook. And she says, as a birth doula who specializes in VBAC, I am thrilled to support the VBAC link. It is the highlight of every Wednesday morning Aww. when I get their newest podcast. I recommend it to all my VBAC clients. It's encouraging and educational. Thanks, Julie and Megan, for all of your efforts. Well, you are welcome, Julie. You're welcome, and Julie thank P. you for supporting us. It means a lot. It really does. We are excited. In fact, as of today, um, actually technically yesterday, but as of today, and it's October. Um, when we when are recording, recording, this is in October, <laughs> we hit over 100,000 downloads and it's been so fun to watch that number blown. grow. I feel like people, whenever people thank us, it it kind of feels like I'm grateful, but it kind of feels a little weird. Not weird, but like really we couldn't do this without anybody any of you guys. Yeah. No, anybody. And so when people thank us, I'm like, no, thank you. And then everyone's like, no, really, you. you, you're so amazing. I'm like, no, you're the amazing one. Like, we we couldn't do this without the support in the community yeah. of people like you listening right now that help us grow and help support each other equally. And we are just so proud of you for helping make the VBAC link possible because it couldn't yeah. be possible without without you. Definitely. And these reviews actually do help us grow. They help other moms find the podcast. It helps Apple think that we're awesome. I think we're rated number like 72 in the parenting category right now. awesome. Yeah, that's super Um, awesome. So yeah, so the more reviews we get, the more Apple Podcasts kicks us up. So if you haven't left a review and you're on Apple Podcasts, please do so. We'd love that. Or head over to Facebook, leave us a review there. As you know, if you've been following with us for a while, we read the reviews every single week. And we're on the Google. Yep, and we're on Google. So you can Google the VBAC link, and then our business will show up right there on the right-hand side, and you can click leave a review. Yep. It's like super technologically efficient. It's very easy. Yes. Yes. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. 
Okay. All right, Fran. Are you ready? Because we are so ready. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I am ready. I'm <laughs> excited right. to be here with y'all. Yay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, let's hear this awesome story. Okay. Well, welcome with the first time talker with you guys. It, it is truly just a pleasure to, to talk with y'all after hearing your voices while I brushed my teeth, while I took my walks every day, while I moved <laughs> around the hospital, and definitely multiple listeners to some of those Aww. our health episodes. So it's kind of surreal talking with y'all. But um, as Selena Megan said, I am uh, OBGYN here in the Southeast, and I am a mom of two now, as of about five weeks ago. Fresh um, babies. Yeah, and I would say that in addition to being an OBGYN and a mom and a wife, doctor, I would also identify as plus size, which is something that can, you know, we've talked about it in other, or I've listened to you guys about it in other birth stories. It can definitely play a factor and definitely contribute to anxiety, statistics being manipulated, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So um, that definitely played a role, I think, in, in some of the things that I experienced. So, as everyone else has said, there's no VBAC without a previous cesarean, so I wanted to talk a little bit about my son's birth. We got pregnant pretty quickly and then had a miscarriage, and then got mm-hmm. pregnant again with my son a few months after that. We, unexpectedly, my husband is also a physician in a different field, and we got hired kind of out of the blue for ideal jobs in my hometown, which we had been wanting to move back near my family for a while and the jobs just kind of fell in our lap. So we got hired for different jobs to move across the country in the second trimester. So I ended up moving during the pregnancy at about 36 weeks. So we moved across the country. We had to establish a new practice, which was going to be my future group that I was going to practice with. We bought a house for the first time. I was studying for my boards. It was really chaotic. And so I really didn't give that much thought to a birth plan or anything like that. I, you know, had my hesitations about making a birth plan and just wanted to wait for spontaneous labor. In the Southeast, it's pretty, even more so, this pressure to deliver by even like 41 weeks, not even 42. Just culturally, it's like kind of a fixation of like, I can't believe you would go, you know, past a week past your due date, et cetera. My mom had four huge babies um, vaginally, and so I kind of just thought it was going to be a non-event. My sister had a nine-plus-pound unmedicated childbirth the year before. I was kind of going into things thinking, like, babies come out of the pelvises in my family. So um, my cervix was not favorable, and eventually agreed to be induced um, right around 41 weeks. And it just kind of, you know, dilation went fine, but then got to... 10 centimeters, and throughout the course of the process had gotten an epidural, mostly just because things had gotten intense and I wasn't really prepared to manage pain otherwise. And the epidural catheter, I got relief, and then it would go away. And then I would get relief, and then it would go away. So I ended up actually having the epidural catheter replaced three separate times, which they couldn't really explain, like, why it kept falling out, but... They, they, the anesthesiologist, you know, their only recourse was like, just don't move, you know, don't 
roll around or roll around on the peanut ball or really move or do anything, which are all the things that you need to do to get the baby out. But kind of terrified me into like, okay, we've got this last try here of this third epidural and um, just don't do anything to mess it up. So that was really, really challenging and kind of obviously slowed the the process of my my labor and birth. And so that all kind of the third epidural went in place when I was about 10 centimeters and they dosed it so high because I'd been so uncomfortable and it had been such an unsuccessful process of getting pain control that I never felt urge to push. And then in addition, my baby really never descended beyond like zero station. So pretty high in the pelvis. So never felt the urge, tried to push with this direction and it never happened. So left me feeling really sad, really disappointed. Um, Like there was something wrong with my pelvis that I wasn't strong, that there was, you know, something the matter with me. I also felt pretty disconnected from myself when I was trying to push and that was a really weird feeling. And um, just the whole thing was, was not, not what I anticipated we went to the OR for the C-section. That part my husband thinks was kind of funny, only now in hindsight, because I was reciting to him the steps of the surgery as they were kind of going through, because I could feel enough to know, okay, this is where they are now, and this is, okay, we're about to get to meet him. But that part, you know, overall the surgery was okay, but postpartum had a pretty complicated recovery, had a couple bouts of mastitis, and then also had a, a wound infection which, again, nobody really talks about too much, but is a pretty common occurrence with C-section and can really be annoying. You know, they really, my OB group wanted to open the incision back up, which is a pretty standard practice when there's an infection present, mm-hmm. um, but ended up compromising. I kind of advocated for a different approach because, anyway, and got treated with some antibiotics and a drain, but even still having a drain coming out of your body with a newborn baby and trying to run around and learn how to breastfeed and take care of yourself when your abdomen muscles are not working at all. It was it was pretty tough. So needless to say, that was a, a rocky start to newborn life. So this pregnancy, we, um, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I started off the pregnancy thinking that, I wanted to just schedule a repeat C-section and just like not deal or engage with trying and failing. That was, you know, kind of felt like the less vulnerable and less scary thing to do. But early in my pregnancy, I actually attended a birth where the patient had an amazing doula present. And I think it was really like a spiritual thing that she was brought into my life. And we attended that birth together, and it was just a really uplifting experience. The mom was amazing, so calm, so poised, so strong. And just some of the words that we exchanged during this birth really, like, stuck with me. So I ended up reaching out to her. And then my OD actually said to me at one of my appointments, like, how do you think you're going to try to deliver? And she really encouraged me and said, I think you'd be a great candidate for a vaginal birth after C-section. Oh, good. You should think about it. Um, And that was, the two of those things together were pretty game changer for me. So I'm like a data gathering fiend when I'm in a nervous or worried Uh place. So I I did, yeah, did kind of a deep dive into the, the birth world. You know, that's something that, 
by being on this podcast, I'm hoping to reconcile and then also hoping to do some of that in my work. But I don't know why sometimes it feels like the birth world or the doula midwife world is really diametrically opposed to the medical world. But mm-hmm. um, we're we're not. But but the the sets of information that you come in contact with and the feelings that you come in contact with are pretty different. So I started listening to tons of different podcasts. I'd already been an avid podcast listener prior to that and had listened to some birth podcasts in my first pregnancy. And then I think I actually found you guys by searching like hashtag VBAC on Instagram. Yes! Yeah, and I know. So it works to do all those tags in your posts. So did tons of Instagram searching, read tons of spinning babies, um, read anime, just went all in. And then I also was doing some preparation because my sister was pregnant and had moved back home and for her second birth actually needed a doula and had tried out some folks locally and hadn't really connected. So she ended up asking me to attend her birth as a support person, not as her OB, obviously. That would be a little conflicting, but it was just such an honor to be able to be there for her. So I felt like I needed to do some preparation about the role of a doula and how to be encouraging for her. So I learned a ton just in that preparation and mm-hmm. that transpired during my pregnancy. So I did some chiropractic care. Again, after listening to all the stuff that you guys put out there. Um, I just love which it. Of these things, <laughs> which of these things am I going to choose to do? So, um, there's so much. <laughs> and, you know, there's so much. So we did chiropractic care and then, you know, a lot of what I kept hearing in you guys' work was, trying to like actively emote and like get to the root of mm. what are the emotions and the fears like holding you back. Mm-hmm. Um, so really trying to, I'm not that much of an external processor in my life normally. I have a few close people, but tried to really like actively emote and talk through things with my husband, with my sister, with my mom, even sometimes to my brothers, like who I wouldn't normally talk to about this kind of stuff, but trying to just take the advice for what it is and remove the emotional blocks and like work through stuff that I may may or may not know that I have. Did the spinning babies daily activities and then also just the work of being an OB of like being upright and running around and doing surgery and oh yeah that like, the weird sure. positions and touching babies and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So yeah. towards the end of my pregnancy with my daughter, she kept flipping from breach, mm. from breach to vertex to transverse. And I was so frustrated because I was doing all this chiropractic care. And, <laughs> you know, she was so loosey-goosey. I'm 5'11", so I felt like there was lots of room mm-hmm. for her to kind of go around. I never really have that breathless, out-of-room feeling, which is a blessing. Um, but just that was a really frustrating thing. And kind of towards the end of my 37-week visit, I let my OB check me, and I was closed. And I was devastated, like oh. crying, yeah. you know, called the doula, called my husband, just like didn't know that I was so emotionally pent up going into the appointment, but definitely figured that out afterwards. And so for the weekend that followed that appointment, I just really tried to like let it go, try to share my vulnerability again. And like, why was that so upsetting? Like, you know tried to repeat one of the mantras that I think I heard on your podcast of just like you're not responsible for starting your labor. Yes. <laughs> you're not responsible for, you know, you're not the person in charge of that. It's supposed to be like your baby is a 50% at least participant in the labor process. Mm-hmm. And like, you don't have to be all of that. 
So that weekend, I just kind of relaxed. I went to the lake with my family and swam. I got a chiropractor treatment before I left. I stopped worrying about always sitting up in an upright position with my belly button facing the floor and just, like, laid on the couch some and, like, relaxed. Um, And so I got checked again because I was having some contractions and was just morbidly curious when I got back from later that weekend and was three centimeters. Wow. Um, Yeah. And I was just, like, so excited. Yeah. Isn't Um, it amazing how fast stuff can change? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really just doesn't any one exam like literally those are like three days apart and yep it just doesn't matter so it does not matter um makes me so happy to hear an ob saying that like literally part of my script i'm like i can check you today i don't have to like my i can hear my 36 week script going through my mouth but like it doesn't matter when you're trying to you, know, oh, do you that can't duel yourself. You can't OB yourself. No, you can't. You really you can't. can't. You just can't. Not nope, cute. Nope. Mm-hmm. nope. <laughs> or effective. Um, so I, I found it kind of funny, like culturally in my hospital, whereas I, f- I hear a lot of other sharing uh, members or podcast episodes talking about how they can't get induced or nobody will induce them or whatever. The culture in my hospital is a little bit more induction happy, kind of for the convenience of the patient, for the convenience of the provider, mm-hmm. for just, it's just overall super popular. And so because of the relative safety of gentle inductions of VBACs, you know, everyone was really adamant about getting me induced and getting everything scheduled. And after I got changed to three centimeters, I was like, I'm just going to see what happens. And so I pushed off what had already gotten. I asked them to set it up for me because they wouldn't stop asking me about it, but to not tell me about it, <laughs> which everybody was like, you're crazy. But you know, I didn't want to know. It's kind of like getting your cervix checked and not finding out what the dilation is. Yep. I was like, you can set up, you can set up my induction, but you don't just don't tell me when it is, and we'll address it if it if it comes to that. But yeah, so I um got to my second to last day of work. I was thirty eight weeks and two days. They had thrown me a little sprinkle, oh, and cute. I had an appointment. It was so cute. I work with the best people, and I had an appointment to follow that. I had the afternoon off that day. And got to the appointment, and I had been contracting all morning, and I was excited about that and was trying to let myself not register it too much and just thinking that it was like a warm-up thing. Mm -hmm. My blood pressure was elevated, and it had been like stone-cold normal the entire pregnancy. And so it kept being elevated and kept being elevated, and so they had me go down for a little bit further monitoring. And, you know, I, I could accept that. There were objective data points that I was like, okay, this is, something different and so I got a cervical check when I was down there and I was at four centimeters and just contracting regularly on the monitor like every two to three minutes nice. um, nothing uncomfortable but but there for sure and so as I sat and got evaluated blood pressures remained high and so it, it started to become pretty clear there was no preeclampsia but that I needed to go ahead and have the baby it was I did kind of pause and have my risk benefits and alternatives discussion which you know a little funny when you work in the field, but still <laughs> important to kind of go through and then talked about it with my husband Definitely. and with my doula. It was a really ideal team um, that was going to be there over the course of the next couple of days. And it just really felt like the right thing, um, like the stars had aligned. So on my doula's advice, she was like, you need to do something to help help it feel different. And so feel like a separate activity than your work day because, you know, it's just, it's a little weird to just kind of go straight into all of that stuff. Yeah, in um, the same place. Yeah. Yeah. 
she was like, just something to help you reset. So um, I took a nap for about two and a half hours, and um, I took a shower, and then my husband picked up some special sushi dinner for us, and um, yeah, after I'd sent him home to pack, he didn't get a nap, (laughs) and um, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, so then we started. So we started just with some nipple stimulation and movement and really trying to, like, avoid needing augmentation if I didn't need it, but, like, in terms of medicine, but really didn't have much of a a change in my contractions since they were already pretty frequent and they didn't get that much stronger. So I agreed to starting some low-dose Pitocin, and I was actually able to sleep through a lot of the night on that. So it was in a good regular contraction pattern. I'm just trying to get the rest when I could. Next morning, I woke up and my doula encouraged me to have some breakfast. So um, I had a big old coffee and some toast and took another shower and went for a brisk walk around the unit. And then kind of had one of our first obstacles there, which was the anesthesiology attending, who I think out of respect wanted to try to come and, you know, have a face-to-face conversation, but also reconcile what had happened in my last labor experience. It was a pretty mm, confrontational discussion wherein, you know, if I hadn't been an OB, if I hadn't done all the prep work with listening to you guys and thinking about and distilling down like what I really wanted, I don't know how a patient not with those background points would have, or without a doula there to help advocate would have necessarily made the same decisions, but just kind of talking about my, the ability to intubate me quickly if the baby were to have distress, if I needed an emergency C-section, you know, we wouldn't be able to get you adequately numb without having to go all the way to sleep with general anesthesia and given your, you know, your being plus size, you know, that makes it even more difficult. And so it kind of turned into this 30, 45 minute discussion and felt really proud of myself at the end of that um, throughout it. And then specifically at the end of it saying, I accept and I understand the risks and the benefits. And no one is more vested in my own health and survival in addition to my baby's health and survival than me. Yes. And I understand that and I decline. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it, you know, it was tough, but it, it really cemented my ideas of like, really wanting to be able to move and the intervention that they were offering was a hundred percent going to take that ability to walk around and have my feet in contact with the floor away and the risk of rupture and needing an emergency c-section was a much smaller percentage of happening and so it felt really easy to say that's a possibility whereas the other is a definite so no so anyway Got my water broken a little bit later on in the day after kind of, again, letting that decision point mellow and think about it for a little while. Energy was staying pretty positive, had a great nurse, had a great team. My sister was there in addition to my doula and my husband. And monitors, you know, were frustrating. I did have some continuous monitoring, which was a little bit challenging. But in and out of the shower, using some essential oils for just like change of, I'm not an expert in those, I'm not versed in those, but just like the smells that I like and things that make it not smell like a hospital Mm -hmm. um, uh, were really nice. And then 
this is kind of the wall here. I, I got re-examined at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Things had really started the night before around 9 p.m., and so it had been almost 24 hours, and my water had gotten broken at, like, 10 o'clock in the morning. So I got re-examined after six hours of labor and Pitocin and all this stuff, and I was not any more dilated than Aww. I had been when the whole thing started. So still four centimeters, mm-hmm. and I That's was... Weird. I fell apart. I mean, I was so upset. Yeah. I, there were lots of tears. I went and pouted in the shower <laughs> and just, you know, I, it just was crazy uncomfortable. And I kept thinking, like, I really want this V back, but I can't do this for 12 to 24 hours, but I really don't want an epidural for the reasons that we had kind of talked about already. So it's a really challenging place to be, but I, I, called on my episodes of the VBAC link and other birth <laughs> podcasts and really just like, so happy. I mean, I listened to Caitlin's mental preparation episode yes. so many times. So good. But um, I thought about you guys and thought about, you know, okay, I know it's not a formula, but all these ladies talked about their feelings, talked about their wall, talked about their fears, cried a lot, and then their babies came out. <laughs> So, magic. We had an, we had gonna, one that we recorded just last night. Same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm going to talk about all my feelings. But obviously I wasn't rational enough to like say these things out loud. It was kind of seeing an ugly crying face and a lot of tears thinking like, okay, whatever. What do I have to lose? Like, I'm going to just have all my feelings. And I did. I had myself a little, almost felt self-indulgently like a pity party. But it was really good to like work through all that stuff and work through all the hard feelings that I was having, which some of the feelings I was having was that this was hard because I was plus size. The monitoring was more difficult, that maybe the baby wasn't coming out because I was plus size or, you know, what about that was making it difficult for the baby to find her way through the birth canal and really just kind of coming to terms with that and my doula just challenging all of those negative thoughts and all of those false thoughts. And then my sister, I remember her saying, you know, like there are lots of components that make you who you are. You know, there's, I want you to envision all of them sitting around a conference room table. There's mom Fran, Dr. Fran, cook Fran, wife Fran, sister Fran, all of these versions and the Dr. Fran is not invited to this part of the conversation. Oh, and my gosh. Not, I love that she visualization. Needs, she needs yeah. to push back from the table, and you'll get her later. But, like, she's not here right now. You just I need to that. be oh. the mom. Perfect. And it was so helpful. Um, I know. She's, she's magic. So she was super great. And I was able to kind of tell Dr. Fran to shut up and to stop trying to rationalize and and doubt myself through all of this stuff. And so I had been on the same dose of Pitocin for a while, and I think I'd even dialed it down a couple of times because I was having such an emotional time. And my doula and I, we kind of, we talked about it because through all this stuff, I was still contracting, and it just felt like this terrible merry-go-round that I wanted to get off of but couldn't every time the contraction would come it's like man this is still happening and this whatever it was that wasn't wasn't dilating me but was still kicking my butt and my doula was like listen we have two choices right now we can take a rest we can turn the toast off or ask for it to be turned off and try to take a nap 
or we can ask for things to get stronger and ask your body and invite your projections to get stronger and to really like dig in. And I really just felt an overwhelming sense of strength to, to ask for things to get stronger and to dig deep. And so I turned up the meditation a little bit more and started really trying to work with my contractions. And for a lot of my labor, I was like on the toilet and I, I hadn't envisioned it going that way, but it felt really safe. And Hey, the toilet's um, good for the opening it's those so good. Yeah, it's a I labor place for a long time. pelvic floor, yeah. Yep. Delivered a lot of babies in bathrooms, but not necessarily on the toilet, but or caught a lot of babies, I suppose. But nevertheless, it um, it was a nice, quiet place. And so we did a lot of work there on the toilet with feet kind of elevated up on little steps, um, like the little surgical step stool to, like, make the angle even more like a squatty potty. Um, yes. which was super helpful. So with each one trying to work to like not clench up my pelvic floor and to really relax and like let the baby come down. And I really think that she, my baby, was not engaged, not engaged, not engaged. And then my doula suggested we had been doing so many abdominal lift and tucks like all throughout. Oh. But it hadn't really done, I couldn't feel that it was doing anything until that moment that she suggested doing it on the toilet once like transition type of stuff was happening nice. and I really think that that helped her go where she needed to go because I could feel where to actually push on her physically <laughs> from my abdomen because I could feel everything but I could give the pressure in the direction to help her kind of get down into the birth canal so I was super glad that I hadn't had an epidural at that point so at that point things get a little fuzzy but I started somewhere in there, like, involuntarily pushing. <laughs> my doula, my sister, my nurse, like, all of them knew but didn't say anything and just kind of let it happen. And then I had to move to the bed because the monitor was kicking off again and was obviously involuntarily pushing at that point <laughs> and was registering on the monitor. So the MD came in and gave a check, and I was completely dilated and plus two station, maybe right there. That is Whoa. awesome. was crazy. I mean, it was, like hours or something between the check where everything was the same and then and little then, emotional release little spinning babies little emotional release and that's and when the magic happens yeah, I yeah. Mean, it, and my husband did start to play a Lizzo playlist um, <laughs> that we had listened to a lot during um, my you know exercise and stuff like that towards the end of the pregnancy and I, I credit Lizzo with some of my positive emotional energy and awesome kind of charge self-positivity that that she kind of radiates but yeah so I pushed maybe including the involuntarily pushing and then also the monitor pushing time was probably 20-25 minutes total and she came out and I got to pull her up onto my chest which had been part of my birth plan and even though or my wishes, and even though there was meconium and the flu, my nurse was such a beast and such an advocate and really advocated for all of my sessions to be done on me since the baby looked great when she came out, and it was just awesome. It was, like, the, the most amazing feeling ever. I, I love it. That is so cool. I just it love so it. cool. That's so amazing. There's so, so cool. many amazing things in your story. Um, it kind of reminded me... I saw this analogy on social media a little while ago about something, I don't remember what it was, something, or like, oh no, I think it maybe was breastfeeding, 
like breastfeeding is a Swiss army knife. And then you have all these little tools that like pull out that you can use to make it work. And then like yeah. ever since that, I like took it even bigger. Like, and now I, now everything in my life is a Swiss army knife. Right. And you have all your little <laughs> tools. Right. So I love it because like birth and VBAC specifically is like a Swiss army knife. Right. So you talked a lot, of, um, a little bit, you mentioned in your story, how like you had a chiropractor and a doula and you did spinning babies daily as essentials and all of these things. And there's so much to do. And occasionally we'll get asked in our community or we'll see it in some of our mom groups or in other birth forums. People ask like, oh my gosh, like if you could have a doula or a birth photographer, or if you could, ha- or if mm-hmm. you need to have like a chiropractor or a doula or, and you know, like, they have all these, they're like, oh, there's so many things to do. I just don't know what to pick and I can't afford to do all of the things. Mm-hmm. And so I want to tell you, think of preparing for your VBAC or preparing for any birth like a Swiss army knife, right? You have lots of tools to pick from. And you know what? The only tool you might use is like the Phillips head screwdriver that you just like flip out and that might be the only thing you need. But you might use every single tool, like the flathead and the little teeny scissors, and sometimes that little toothpick that is just randomly there. That like <laughs> I don't think anybody ever uses a toothpick, but sometimes you have to use a toothpick, and that's exactly what you need to make the birth work. And so if you think about it like that, like your VBAC prep is like a Swiss Army knife, right? You have our podcast. You have our How to VBAC Prep course for parents. Doulas obviously have the doula course, but... You have a chiropractor, you have a pelvic floor therapist, you have a prenatal massage therapist, you have a structural integrator, you have, you know, all these different tools. You have spinning babies daily essentials, you have exercise, you have prenatal nutrition, you have all these things that fit in your personal Swiss army knife and everybody's looks different and getting prepared and what's in that Swiss army knife looks different for everybody. But what's important is that you have several tools that you can use and pull out when you need them. And sometimes you'll use all the tools and sometimes it's just one tool that you need. And we recommend definitely having a doula on your Swiss army knife and definitely having some VBAC prep on your Swiss army knife, whether it be our course or the podcast or the blog or, or something, dive into something. So you know what your options really are, but, Oh, I forgot the biggest tool that we are going to talk about in this episode is fear processing and processing your emotions. I had a client today. Actually, she just messaged me today. First time mom. I honestly, I tell Megan all the time, I'm like, I have no idea how to deal with first-time moms because first-time moms (laughs) don't have, they don't have past experiences or trauma. I work a lot, mostly with VBAC moms and women with like complicated birth situations. It's just the clientele I attract. Megan works a lot more with first-time moms and I think a bigger variety of clients than I do. Yeah, all Um, variety. Yeah, and so it's just naturally what I attract. So um, when I have a first-time mom, I'm like, asking all my prenatal questions and I'm like, okay, well, what fears do you have going into this birth? And she'll look at her partner and she'll look back at me and she'll be like, well, I'm not really afraid of anything. Like we're taking a hypnobirthing class. And so I feel like we're really prepared. And in my mind, I'm like, but don't you know all these things you need to be ready for? And first time moms don't know all those things. And but it's okay because no first time mom does. We didn't. I didn't. Megan didn't. Um, You didn't. And nobody does. Mm -hmm. It's just you don't. And so when I get a first time mom, because I only take one or two clients a month, I'm very, very small on my client load. It's just kind of so out of the norm for me. I have to like really 
think about it before I go into their prenatals and how I approach their birth. And so with this particular first-time mom, very similar experience. The prenatals were really short because we didn't have a lot to talk about. Because, and so I just, you know, prepared her just for the general things, how to make your pelvis more mobile, spinning babies um, exercises, a few things like that, just to kind of help mentally process and physically get ready and help loosen up her pelvic area because she's an athlete, like she worked out a lot. And she texted me today and she listens to our podcast, even though she's a first time mom, which I always think is super cool when first time moms do that. I totally tell my first time moms to listen to your podcast. Oh, you're the best. Because really, honestly, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. And if you hear all these experiences, you're going to learn a lot. Yep. So much. So she was texting me today and she was like, so I was listening to um, your episode about Summer's feedback and today and her C-section story just really made me cry and all my fears just came to the surface and I was just wondering if you could do some fear release or fear processing or something <laughs> with me and in my mind I'm like yes <laughs> this is so good like when first time moms can actually like pinpoint and identify the things that might hang them up during labor it is like yeah. so good and so I'm like oh my gosh yes I, I was like I don't mean to sound excited but these are really good things now we know how to process through them, how we can prepare to like mitigate them through your labor, and we can avoid them to whatever extent we can in the birth space to make sure that you have a more positive experience and don't get triggered by fears. And so I think like knowing and identifying your fears and how to work through them, and like you said, emoting, like talking about them to whoever will listen to you is a great way to get in the right mental space for birth. We've t- we talk about a lot. We in our VBAC preparation courses, it's the first thing we do is a fear release yeah. activity. It's the very first thing because a lot of women coming out of an unplanned cesarean, which most cesareans are unplanned, have some trauma or fear or or something that they need to work through before they enter into their their next birth. And so um, I'm really glad. It was made me really, really happy when you said that because I think one of the other things in the system, you know, our hospital birth system, is that our OBs don't have a safe space to go to process the emotions that they have that are connected to experience. them during the bir- their births. Because, like, surely you and every other OB have witnessed some pretty traumatic births yourself. Oh, yeah. And oh, you've yeah. seen some scary things. And there's not a good way in the system for our providers to process through their emotions mentally. And I think that in some cases they can carry those emotions into um, more birth spaces. Their practice. Yeah, their birth practice. Mm -hmm. Uh And and certain things can trigger them and that will influence how they treat their clients. And so it made me really happy when you talked about all of your emotional processing and talking Mm -hmm. through to people. And I'm like, oh, that just makes me so happy that you that you identify those things and those needs in yourself and were able to work through them. And then even in labor, you had this moment that where you just like, let go, you just let go. And Mm. I loved it. And letting go can be very hard. Oh, so hard. So hard. I mean, it's, it can be super hard. I think one of the things that helped, I didn't mention this before, but I actually sought out some counseling. We have free counseling as a university employee um, for like up to 12 sessions a year. So after my son's birth, I did like EMDR sessions and Uh, like worked with a counselor. 
Um, yeah, because uh, it was traumatic. And previously working on L&D, as scary as it can be, is one of my favorite places to be. And I didn't want that experience to color. I mean, obviously it influences, but I didn't want that to hurt the way that I, like you were saying, hurt the way that I was caring for other women and their families and, yeah. and to take the joy that I previously had felt from, from that. So it helped. I- I'm so proud of you for working through that and identifying the need to work through that. I really am. Like, it sounds, part of me sounds like so silly, like saying that to an OBGYN, you know, like, I am so proud of you. But really, I'm I'm not talking to an OB right now. I'm talking to a VBAC mom and a friend and a person. And I really am. I am so proud of you for identifying those emotional needs and for working through them, um, even in the middle of labor, because so many people don't know how to do that. Or they know they might need to, but they don't because it is scary. And so I just, I'm proud of you and I'm proud of every single birthing person out there that faces their fears head on and works through them so that they can have a good experience and an emotionally safe experience during their birth or in any part of their life. I do encourage everybody listening to you to do that five-day challenge thing that y'all do. That's kind of how I got roped into the system of the community because it it just helped to jumpstart some of that self-discovery and like digging in. So I thought that was a really good Yeah, we need to get another one of those scheduled. We have have a website just for the challenge. It's called the vbacklink.com slash challenge. Mm -hmm. And so so definitely check out the website. Um, If you want to know more, we have a like five-day free email challenge it's really Um, awesome it is pretty pretty amazing brings this community together and helps helps you connect with people and you don't have to be local you can be anywhere Anywhere in the the world world to participate in this and i mean you can go as far as you want you can just receive the emails and the printouts and participate that way or you know we have a group and we get very involved and julie and i are there and we're on we're on video with you and we're talking to you every day and it's it's really awesome it's really awesome. And we also have had moms find other moms in their community. And so mm-hmm. they've got this VBAC buddy, you know, that they can make connections with and be on their journey together. So it's really, really awesome. Would I love you that like you found us that. On the podcast, like, yeah. Head over that, to the well, VBAC that you submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, online and in person VBAC blog and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.